0: Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Today we are talking about crisis leadership. Leadership in a crisis is always a challenge, and it's something that I have a lot of experience in, not their choice usually. But crisis can emerge at any time. Now, sometimes you're brought in for crisis management. I've been into distressed investing situations. Uh, I've spoken to distressed investor conferences where companies are going through periods of very difficult time. They're looking at their cash. They're looking at, how are we going to survive? Payroll. Uh, Current companies that are going through a bankruptcy and those kind of things. There's that whole kind of crisis management, which a lot of people think of traditionally. There's crisis management if you are a perhaps a company that has one major customer that may control 50% or more of your revenue, and maybe they cancel or indicate that they're going to cancel. Or you could have fraud or mismanagement of funds. These are opportunities for the company, I say opportunities for the company to be in crisis situations. There's a lot of unforeseen events in the world today. We're dealing with the crisis of COVID-19, the coronavirus that has emerged on a global scale. All of these things are crisis. They're opportunities for leaders to show what leadership is all about. And as we look at that, and as we think about that, we have to think about Different ways that you can emerge from crisis. There's another type of crisis that I think is equally important. You know, we think about world events, we think about company events, we think about local community events. We think about uh, a a few weeks ago, I was in Nashville and there's a horrific tornado that can put a a local community in through no fault of their own. How are we going to deal with this? There's also personal crisis. And I've also dealt with that, and many of us has as well, where you realize that you're in a completely uncharted territory. My wife went through cancer a couple of times, and you're in a personal crisis. You're in a family crisis. So whether it's health, whether it's a community, whether it's a weather event, whether it's a virus, whether it is something that is in your corporate environment, whether it is fraud, whether it is an ethical issue, whether it is something that happened to your leader or a leader in the company, there's so many different ways that you can find yourself in a crisis. Now, a lot of people think, well, I only have to worry about crisis management, crisis leadership. If I'm the CEO, if I'm the executive director, if I'm the leader of the organization, then I have to deal with it. But that is not the case. All of us will at some point be in a situation where we are called upon to respond in a crisis. And currently this COVID-19 situation has put everybody... In a crisis situation and how you emerge as a leader is important how you emerge from this is a a reactionary or a responsive way right you can either react or respond and so there's a lot of ways that or there's a lot of crisis that can happen in your life and you have to think about how am i going to respond how am I going to perform? Some of these things happen in the moment. You know, there's a lot of leadership literature that will say, actually, you know, is, is it the leader or is it the events, right? So you can look historically, and you know, I think about Winston Churchill, and a lot of people say, what a leader he was in World War II to deal with this threat of Hitler and all the things that were happening. Others will say, yeah, but his history of leadership up until that point was rather miserable. It was rather kind of mediocre, and he emerged on the scene. So did the events create the leader, or did the leader kind of change and shape the events? There's ongoing debate and mystery, and then you can use numerous historical examples. So all of us will face crisis in our life. All of us will face stress in our life. How do we respond to that? How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it in the moment? It's a mixture of our experience, of our personality, of our education— of the people around us, of the events. And that mystery of mixing that all together is never the same. And so any recipe you hear that says, this is the path you follow, we'll have to change that. We'll have to merge that into something else because it depends on the events and how things are arriving for you. So uh, today we're talking about crisis leadership and we're doing it with our panel. And uh, the panel's quiet right now because it's a somber topic, right? Crisis, dealing with, uh, with COVID-19. I want you to know we're in the studio. We are all uh, separated by – we are further apart than normal. I might have, actually have to put on my glasses to see Jennifer <laughs> Collins, who is way down on the other end. Uh. Hello down there. <laughs> Jennifer Collins, who is here, and she uh, is an expert – in a number of things related to benefits and employees and leading, and you've dealt with some crisis and stress in your life, and, and uh, I think that that uh, qualifies you to uh, be an expert here as well. Uh, we have Drew Bordis, who's an expert in operations. Hello. And, and hello, Drew, and Drew's worked with me for a long time which means that he's uh, he's on a weekly crisis just whenever I walk into his office I usually land in Drew's office with a crisis scream yell ah and then I say put that in a spreadsheet and come back to me with the answer and and he does yeah. normally you're just calm now with we all we is. all play our role we all play our role and uh, and there you go and then we have Tammy Spade who now I've worked with for it's been a longer time than you think mm-hmm isn't that amazing how it long is. it's been? It is. And and each skip uh month counts as a year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that, yeah. but it's kind of uh and it does feel that way, doesn't it? It does feel that way. Events sometimes. happen much faster so once I'm into the mix. <laughs> so People true. are like uh skip that's speed. A, Yeah. And 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 the other thing that's really clever and I, this is a side note so there's a little side benefit I will say to uh, to anybody who is listening to this and is thinking about, how do I retain, this is just a bonus, right? Little bonus. How do I retain my uh, best leaders? And the answer is keep them so busy with crisis that they cannot uh, update their resumes and LinkedIn profiles because they're just so busy they just don't have time to go on an interview anyway, <laughs> and uh, and then then it passes and there's no there's no opportunity. Just a little side note, little benefit does does work, doesn't it though? Right?
1: It's a strategy. I, saw the, I thought it was the constant threats you gave us. But, the you know, yeah, it all works. Yeah, you're the
0: one threatening yeah. me all the no, time. No, so. no, 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 no. Yeah, that's a good little tip. Yeah. So there now people are listening, going threats. Oh, that's what's a great idea. <laughs> so you never know the benefits you're going to. To uh, achieve from this, aim higher podcast. But now we're talking about crisis leadership, and we have Jennifer Drew, and Tammy, here to talk about leading in a crisis. So let's get uh, let's get let's get personal uh, for a moment and talk about um, what do you do in leading through a crisis. So let's talk about getting that bad news, getting that. Uh, getting that moment when, uh, when it happens, right. It can be anything, right? It it can. I mean, the bad news can span the spectrum, right? You first hear uh, bad news. What do you do? Now, I've learned that a lot of this is reflective of your personality, right? Some people will uh, want to develop a plan immediately. Some people will swing into action immediately. Some people will respond with anger immediately. Other people will be stunned and momentarily kind of motionless. And, uh, and kind of staring, like this this range of, you can't predict this, right? But there's this range of human emotion that happens. And so the very first thing, I'm just gonna lead off, and giving you time to think and reflect on this, but the very first thing that I do when I hear about this news or that I try to do, not that I always do, does depend, is I try to do one thing because I've learned this over the years, breathe because my first reaction is immediate it is instinctual it is emotional it is to take action it is to react with explosive power and instead i need to learn to kind of reflect and pause there is such power in the pause there is such power in breathing. And breathing is also an art, right? I've learned this whole thing about a breathing and taking breathing classes. You think, oh, that doesn't matter. It really does. So really pausing, really taking a deep breath. And I, I struggle with that too, because it's like, okay, I take a shallow breath. Okay, I breathe now, move, right? No, that's not a breath. And when you think of a breath, it's always gotta be longer than what you think. Because time, when you're in a crisis, that's the first thing you learn it speeds up. Now I love that. I thrive on kind of responding in that way. But to pause, take 30 seconds, breathe. It it changes your hormones in your brain. It floods it your brain with with different hormonal I won't get into all of it, but it, it literally will help you respond in a much more positive way. So, just my tip is when you first get that news, what do you do? Breathe. And I just want to quickly get some reactions on what do you do first? Would you think about breathing, or, or wh- what comes to mind when I say that? Right? We've all we've all received news that's in this spectrum.
2: Yeah, mine goes right along with that. I stop, I breathe, but I have to close my eyes and isolate all the distractions and start thinking: What do I really need to focus on right now? And from the leader perspective, what is my team going to focus on? What am I going to need to be there for them to help them through this? So, just closing my eyes and breathing. 30 seconds.
0: So in closing your eyes, you say, I'm getting getting rid of all the distractions. (laughs) I I like that. So uh, closing your eyes can be one way to limit that. And of course, that's a physical response. But it's interesting because it's not just closing your eyes and and getting rid of all those distractions. It could be other, I guess, other ways to do that? If you're in a, a loud environment where everyone's screaming, do you need to get away and get to a quieter place? I mean, like if you were in a busy restaurant and everybody's screaming, we're not in that situation right now since most restaurants are closed. But if you, if you were in this big loud thing, would, would you close your eyes and try to get to a quiet place too? For me personally, it's louder in my mind. It's oh. that creative imagination of
2: all the what ifs, what could happen? Well, you know, What could this turn into? Closing my eyes, my eyes to isolate. Me for myself,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's good. So, so that is pulling out the distractions, letting you quiet your mind, breathe, and then you can move into whatever wherever you are. Exactly. See, and I thought of
1: focus also, like you said, but in a like you said, it it kind of all matches our personalities of um, kind of quickly sorting out what can I control and what can I control, and the things I can't control, set aside, and worry about immediately in front of me. What is in my power to help solve this, deal with it, comfort a loved one, whatever? I mean, it could be anything depending on the scenario. But what can I do? And then what are the things that are outside of my control? And set those aside.
3: You you put the mm-hmm. things you can't control on tab two of your spreadsheet. That is correct.
1: My, my mental spreadsheet. <clears throat> never to be seen again is where <laughs> those go.
0: Do you have a, a place that things never are to be seen again? Or Oh, yeah. They just go away. Yeah, none of your stuff. It's just yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, people are listening, thinking, "What is going on over there?" <laughs> so, so breathing, compartmentalizing, uh, those kind of things. The the second thing I always uh, do is uh, mentally assess the situation, right? Which for me, is this. You know, how bad is it? What impact will it have? What's the worst? I think. What's the worst that can happen? And you know, typically, as leaders, we don't go to the worst situation, right? Leaders are usually looking for the positive situation, the opportunity, looking to anticipate and create uh, a future that's great. We don't typically think, what's the worst thing? But in a crisis, it's very important for you to go to, to a different place and think, what's the worst that can happen? Because you typically, as a leader, are thinking about protection. Right. And so that's a natural personality trait of mine is how do I protect myself, my family, my community, my company, my, you know, everybody in my circle. How, how do I how do I do that? So that assessment, I think, is a uh, crucial component. How do you assess the situation? Uh, I mean, it's going to depend on what, what this is. But how do you how do you develop that range of of things that could happen? Uh, so, you know, weeks ago. We were, we're into this uh, crisis, but it was over a month, six weeks ago, way before uh, people were talking about it, I was already th- – I'm not bragging about me, but you know, think about anticipatory uh, responses. What could happen if? And our organization was way ahead in being able to respond because of that. So you don't always want to live there, but you have to be thinking of these scenarios. How, how do you, whatever that thing is, anticipate uh, – what that situation analysis could be. Do you go through a process? What's your, what's your process for doing that?
3: You know, I think it's important <clears throat> to get other people's perspectives. I'm more of a verbal processor, so it was interesting to listen to all of your answers to the first question that you would mentally go through or kind of, you know, push out the distractions, begin to think about solutions to the problem, how you're going to protect. I generally go and talk to other people. And in a case where I'm trying to assess, I would usually pull together maybe a small trusted group of people with different perspectives, maybe different roles, if it's in an organization, and start to vet out all of the potential um, considerations, the pros, the cons, what could happen. Okay, you're going to work on this, I'm going to work on that, and try and begin to pull that out. And then if you do that a few times, which we've actually done in this particular crisis, um, it becomes a process that people can hook into and it helps them move along through the crisis and through those natural curves, but it also helps the organization.
1: I think you know when you're when especially when you're talking like worst case scenario planning, things like that, it does help to verbalize it with a, with a, a trusted group because even if at the, at the moment you recognize it, somebody else says, that's crazy. You're crazy. That's never going to happen. And then a week later, 10 days later, it's, hey, remember that thing you said? that That's looking more realistic. And you can circle back as a group and revisit it and say, OK, we've got new data now. New things have happened. If you're doing all that in your head – it's much harder to get a kind of a check versus somebody else, um, somebody else's opinion.
2: Right. Yeah, I think that's especially the case with a company like ours where we're global, mm-hmm. and there's so many cultural differences too on how those things are handled mm-hmm. or how crises and situations are handled. And being able to sit in a room with them, you know, virtually and gather their feedback and input and ask, you know, what's going on in your area.
0: Yeah, it's it's assembling that leadership team to me is is a crucial component, and. I always like to look at the leadership team and think of it differently, right? Some people think oh the leadership team means the leadership team of the company or the people that work for you or whatever and it doesn't mean that. A leadership team may be having, you know, had different cancer diagnoses in our family. It may be a a medical leadership team, right? It may be in a corporate organization a variety of people at different levels and expertise, and whether it be like you said, because we're global from different cultures, or you know, to me, the more diverse, the the, the better. You don't want to replicate yourself, and, and then that's not a team. You end up with you know, you could just look in the mirror. But having that team that can help you wrestle with the issues and struggle with where are we going to go, and and somebody who's going to say, you know, you might you might have the Eeyore in there who's always, this is the worst case, this is not going to work. And then <laughs> right, And then you have somebody else who's saying this crisis is is you know, we need to step back, it's going to give us huge opportunity. We need to look at things differently. We're going to emerge from the stronger, right? And having both of those voices in there is really important, whether it's a health crisis, whether it is a uh, organizational financial issue, all of those things. and if you if you have that diverse opinion base, it'll allow you to structure what could happen. So I do mm-hmm. think that leadership team is important. And if you're called upon to be on that team, to know what your role is, I think is important. And how can you best contribute and look at the bigger picture and, and help emerge? Because we all have these different strengths. And I think that's a crucial, crucial experience. And by the way, from a career perspective, I've seen people's careers may, you know, the make or break moment, on these teams where there's something happening, right? And it could be something like a major software system is being deployed and you're called on and you're assessing it and you're looking at it and you're part of the team and you're like, you know what, my role is to step in and give the facts and tell the truth of what I think is happening is not good. right? That can actually be a good thing, right? To um, to help propel your career. I'm not looking at
1: anybody, Drew. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah, And you know, I, I do tell people things like that, you can't put on your checklist to accomplish this coming year. You you, You you didn't know it was coming, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this is a similar situation. And I tell people this that are in their early career. You just have to jump on it when it comes because you can't plan for it. You can't, I mean, when they're really this big, that you just got to be in it when it happens. But you have to be willing to put your hand up.
0: Yes. And that confidence is important to have, right? Because so many people will think, well, I could really contribute to this or whatever, but I better not say anything. I don't want to do that now. Instead of saying, hey, I can help with this. I want to lead. I want to help. I think is important. Well, the other part of uh, crisis and dealing with crisis that I think is massive, I think it is significant in a way that uh, it seems obvious, but repeatedly I've seen it uh, undermanaged, underwhelmed, just not where it should be, and that is communication, mm-hmm. right? This communication, and it has to be often enough. It can't be too much. It has to be at the right level. It has to be not just head but also heart. It has to be a mix of uh, of, of a professional and a little personal. It has to have all of those things that communicates we're in this together we are going to um, emerge stronger and i'm a big believer in this and and many leaders are not Uh, and i talk to to leaders who who don't believe it and that's the 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 facts the truth right not to sugarcoat it or pretend like it doesn't exist Um, i was at one organization we hit a, a major financial crisis and i came out with a note that said here's here's what happened here's what's going on here's the decisions we're making and I'm sorry it's it's not it's not good. These things happen in economic cycles and um how do you how you communicate that I think is 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 vitally important. And any crisis is uh is like that of you know am I going to communicate and and what's the appropriate level of communication right? Sometimes you you can you can share too much. You know we've all been around people right where it's like that was too much. Like TMI. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know you well enough for you to tell me that, right? <laughs> yes. I, I, we've all, been, but the person saying, well, you know, I attended a Brene Brown class on vulnerability. Yeah, but she didn't mean to be that vulnerable, right? There's a vulnerability appropriate balance, right? So vulnerability is good for leaders. You want to be vulnerable. I, I believe in that. But you don't want to be – you don't want to share information that would be inappropriate or that you would be um, looking back at and saying, now, why exactly did I share that? But communication, right? All the things that go into that, the appropriate level, the right amount, the tone, you know, varied. Is it in writing? Is it in person? Is it in video? Is it in a town hall? Is it in a small group? Is it in a lunch? Is it one-on-one? Uh, all of those things. What goes into communication during crisis? And what has your experience been in watching crisis communication?
3: Well, I think you've already hit on one, which is speak the truth. The other is really frequency. I think it's important to keep the communication frequency up. You can't over-communicate in a crisis um, some two-way options are very helpful, and you've already mentioned some of them. You know, I noticed in, in this most recent crisis that we might have communicated two or three ways a certain fact, but people don't always hear when they're frightened or they're in crisis. Think of the time that you might be sitting in a doctor's office, either yourself or with someone that you care about who's getting news that isn't good. There, there's this thing that happens where your your mind just kind of stops processing for a bit. And we saw a little bit of that in this case where people were asking questions and and it made us realize, oh, they didn't understand that we meant we're gonna start this remote work tomorrow. So we have to re-communicate that. Um, But I think also it's looking at what do they need to hear in addition to what do we want to tell them? Because so Mm. much of the time Mm -hmm. we create our messages, here's what they need to know, here's what we want to tell them. What do they need to hear? What are their questions? And most people, Need to understand, even if it's not good news, how's this going to impact me? And then they can begin to hear the other details.
0: It's so good, and and you know the other thing I think leaders struggle with in crisis is that reflects on what you just said. Is, yeah, you know, I'm a CEO. I will wrestle with something for for weeks, right? Make a decision, roll it out, and then you think, well, everyone has to jump to it. You know, two seconds later, and they haven't had those weeks right and, and and everybody has that so as you work through the organization you have to realize that everybody has a different processing time and so if some people need to hear you know hear it again and hear it a different way and have it explained and let them reflect on it maybe they need to research it maybe they want an article on it maybe so all the things that you've had the benefit of doing sometimes is before it rolls out right J- Jennifer you're an expert in benefits right you deal with this all the time you 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 have all this data all this opportunity all this stuff whatever you 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 land on a conclusion you you have all the data you've you've wrestled with it and you land on it you could just say, "Well, this is the right answer," and here's you know, and just move on, right? But you you allow me, especially Tammy, <laughs> right, to to reflect, to think about it, to analyze it, to to go along with you on your decision making process, and that's not all that different from any other decision.
2: For sure, yeah, you know, a, a crisis like this, a you know, this cl- global pandemic um, can unintentionally work wonders for your business continuity plan and and communication. All the communication we're doing to help people understand that how to help them face the challenges from a professional, you know, workforce perspective. But then to your point from earlier, you know, you've got to also look at the people side of that. So from our end, you know, you've got to understand these people, a lot of them are in situations that they're not used to. A lot of people haven't worked remotely and they don't understand. So having tips, you know, from different people who are used to doing that, sharing that information, but also from the benefits perspective or from the wellness perspective, people are now in their home. They take five steps to the restroom instead of 20 steps to the restroom. And how can we help them, you know, maintain that balance, even though they're working from home and everybody's working remotely. So one of the things we're looking at is, you know, virtual fitness classes. So we're working with our, our fitness Love center it. staffing, doing something. And then that's something we can even roll out globally. We can post it, we can do it live. We could, you know, how do we still keep bring people together virtually? We could have a breakfast, you know, do a team's meeting with breakfast, or if you're in a it's lunch, get together with your team and, and, you know, just still interact with each other or do the fitness, do energizers, you know, things to keep people going and feel that continuity of togetherness, even though we're all, you know, socially distancing yeah, each So other. good.
1: I love that because I'm going to turn into a toad in the next month. So that's, <laughs> I need to keep those things in mind. Well, so, it's hard too for, for me, um, I'm more of a
0: stress eater. So I have to be cognizant of not doing that. Um, as you just saw me eating a bag of popcorn in the last meeting, just <laughs> it was skinny pop, yeah. so it was okay. It was skinny pop, yeah, but, but it okay. was stress eating, and it made, and I made I made myself skinnier because I was yes. eating that. Is I, that the I way think that that's works? What skinny pop is yeah. right? The more you pop, the skinnier the you get. The more you eat, the skinnier you get. Legal note: Skinny Pop popcorn did not <laughs> sponsor this <laughs> podcast, nor are they in any way an advertiser. At least at this point, maybe that'll change. That's true. So <laughs> the. Uh, the uh, yeah, I mean it's hard when you're working at home. I think to be so close to uh, that food, that refrigerator, or in my case, a amazing cook, baker, uh, and s- servant-oriented person who loves lo- and it takes total joy in you eating every single thing that she makes, yeah. and uh, it's art and science and magnificent, and uh, hard to say no to so uh, you have to watch calo- caloric intake during these uh, crisis uh, opportunities I shall say working at home whole whole different topic oh, we could yeah. we could mm-hmm. we could take that as well but communication right so important probably the, one of the most important parts of crisis leadership and and probably the most undertaught and underdeveloped because leaders are thinking about the strategic ramifications and the decisions. They're trying to uh, weigh options. It's a very stressful period. And then they leave it at that. And sometimes it's good to just let uh, people around you into that world to say, hey, here's what I've been wrestling with. Here's what's keeping me up at night. Here's what we're doing. And here's why. Uh, And that can be personal, too. Uh, It can be professional. Again, not too much information. But usually, usually leaders don't err on too much information. Usually they err on no information. No information is a vacuum. And then what happens is people create their own narratives. Mm -hmm. Those narratives are generally not Mm -hmm. the good ones, right? They're not always thinking, well, you have my best interest in mind, because you were talking about, you know, they're thinking about what's in it for me and and how does this affect me, right, Tammy? And uh, so they're they're inventing these narratives. So communicating, I think, helps not only to see – how it is going to impact me, but also
1: how you're going through this. What what are you wrestling with? Because it, it gives a sense of your tone. Well, I think one word that I've been thinking of as we've been talking about this is calm. Like the, the one important part for the leader to provide, even even if you're wrestling with the answers, the specifics, some of the stuff we talked about, is to just provide a sense of calm, and and, and you know you use Winston Churchill as an example. But I think it applies in workplaces. It applies with parents and children you know, if, if the parent freaks out, the child's going to freak out, right? It, you know, what you show and, and how you talk and, and what you tell everybody um, really can set the tone for how the organization, the family, the whatever the country handles the issue at hand. So true. I think about my sister, Joy,
0: the daughter, Joy, but I also have a sister, Joy. And uh, her, you know, you think about the, the parent can impact the children. I see a lot of the children impacting parents, right? With the kid is screaming and just bloody murder and then you watch the parents just flip out my sister Joy is hilarious because she thinks when they do that, the kids are adorable. So they're screaming and yelling and whatever. Well, she just starts laughing and giggling and just, I mean, she's hysterically laughing. And it's so funny to watch. And then you as a bystander just start laughing too. And then the kid just kind of pauses and stops and is bewildered, right? Changes their emotion because um, she thinks it's adorable. I mean, she can't stop laughing. And it is is—it is really funny to watch. But people do, right? We—we—we we, we, Emotions are contagious. Right there's there's study on this. There's another study that's or there's another thing I heard from a from a um, I think it was a neurologist who was telling me that the same brain pathways I won't get too technical or biological the same brain pathways for panic also are for calm like they're the same things and so signaling that calmness or uh, or even you know, you mentioned again uh, Winston Churchill r- kind of resolute kind of I'm moving forward gives a confidence and a forward momentum that you would see different than, than a panic uh, response. Well, we're talking about reacting. We're talking about breathing. We're talking about assessing things and communicating and assembling a leadership team and remaining calm, uh, not panicking, laughing in the face of your children. <laughs> Now, see, if you just tuned in, you'd be like, what in the world? Try that with my 18-year-old. Every, every podcast Laugh in the face of your 18-year-old. 18-year-old. I don't know. That may not go over very well. That yeah. might be tricky. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, just start laughing at him. <laughs> it is a him. It is a him. Um, the, the other thing I think is important in crisis leadership is uh, the deputization of key leaders, right? And that is um, finding those people and giving them a task that, that And it may be a stretch for them. It may not be, but it may be a stretch for them. And yet it gains skills, it gains confidence, and you can never learn anything. And sometimes you just got to be thrown into the deep water and and start to swim. But, but deputizing people, I think, is also a very key part of crisis leadership. People want to be involved. People want to make a difference. And you're giving them an opportunity to shine And uh, sometimes, as we talked about earlier, people need to raise their hands and ask for it. And other times, you may just need to tap them on the shoulder and and say, I'm asking for you to stretch yourself and do this. What do you think about that as a component of crisis leadership?
3: Um, I, I actually think that is one of the most important things that you can do for a couple of reasons. One is the worst thing leaders can do is get into a room by themselves, try to sort everything out. Everyone knows you're in that room, and they're kind of waiting, and they feel already a sense of loss of control. Um, so you can increase that feeling of control and calm, as we were talking about earlier, by engaging people. People want to help. When we put together our crisis management team, it was multi-layer, multi-location, multifunctional. And that's what was needed because you had some very specific things that had to be done and people working together around a table that might not normally be working together. Um, and, and, a, you got things done because leaders can't do it all themselves. You have specialists who need to do things like stand up a, you know, internal website and prepare 100 additional laptops for people to take home if they don't already have one. I mean, those are not things that leaders can sit down typically and do all by themselves. So I, I do think it um, solves problems, but it also gives people a sense of we're in this too, we're helping too, and therefore I feel more control in a situation that's largely out of their control. Yeah. And I think, you know, leaders, they're going through the
2: crisis too. And they just like everybody else, they need to also look at themselves, take care of themselves, take the break from things. So deputizing others to have that leadership, not only does it, you know, bring in that diversity of, of thought and experience that other people have gone through in different crises and how they've handled it and what was successful, but it also allows the, the you know, mainstream leaders to have time to take care of themselves.
1: It gives you more credibility as a leader too. I think mm-hmm. if you're just appearing out of nowhere they haven't heard from you ever you know and now you're here to save the day it, it's it's almost like who are you what are right. you talking mm-hmm. about versus you've been along why'd you look them. at me it's, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's a sideways look oh, come on come on um but it it really uh, rattles the speaker when skip does that but it um it, it builds trust i be, i feel like in the group to say we're figuring this out together we're doing it as a team and you're not just coming down from the ivory tower well, thank you for talking
0: about crisis leadership. We have have our expert panel here. Thank you, Jennifer Collins. You're an expert in, in crisis leadership and stress that happens for a variety of reasons. Tammy Spade, who has dealt with people, places, and what's the third one? Purpose. Purpose, and the various crisis that can occur uh, in that area. And then also our expert in crisis leadership, Drew Bordis, who... Uh, is a Georgia Tech football fan and by definition needs to understand how to deal with crisis on a regular <laughs>
1: It's going to be all basis. different this Ongoing. coming year. Ongoing. All different.
0: And, uh, and so he needs to... He says to, that every year. Yeah, he yes, says he that every year. He's dealt with his, uh, his football crisis on a regular season-by-season uh, basis and thus uh, knows how to deal with it more than most of us. So uh, thank you for talking about that. We're in unprecedented times. And um, I, I tell people at all times people are hurting you always if you treat somebody that they're hurting somebody once told me uh, you're usually right everybody goes through crisis on a on a different level at a different scale in a different way on a week-to-week basis the scope and scale of that changes uh, for a variety of reasons and your perspective changes as well and i always tell people to, to try to look past it and know that there's an opportunity in every crisis you can learn from each crisis you can emerge stronger from crisis, but when you say all that to somebody, just last tip: when you say that as a leader to somebody too early, you're making a crucial mistake. Mm-hmm. It's the equivalent of somebody who gives uh, really bad advice at a, at a funeral or something else and says, "You know, it will get easier" or something like. Don't say those things. Mm-hmm. Just just let the person be. Let people deal with the crisis. And they they will emerge stronger on their own. Don't think that you can help them uh, get past the stages of grief by speeding them along and saying, you just have the wrong perspective. There's opportunity here, as somebody uh, recently told me. It's not – it actually doesn't help when you need to go through those things. So thank you for talking about crisis leadership, and um, it is it is a talent, a skill, a science, and something all of us should learn to master because we need to anticipate – There's always a crisis that will come. How am I going to respond to it and not react to it so that we can be better prepared and so that personally, professionally, and organizationally, we can aim higher.
2: Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher.